guys. Welcome to your very first episode of your morning legal briefing. We're super excited to be kicking off this podcast, your favorite legal news and pop culture podcast sponsored by Hampton and Hampton LLP. We have three attorneys originally from Chicago, two of which are now transplants in Alpharetta, Georgia. Our first host is Nikki Kane from Chicago, Illinois. Hey, good morning. It's Nikki Kane. Our second host is Halil Hampton, also originally from Chicago, but now a resident of Alpharetta, Georgia. Good morning, podcast world. Attorney Halil Hampton here. Happy to be here. And last but not least, you have myself, your show's executive producer, also a current resident of Alpharetta, Georgia, Sylvia Kulon Hampton, your favorite real estate and estate planning attorney. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the Chicago migrant crisis and what's going on with New York Airbnbs. Chicago, like many other cities, is currently suffering from a migrant crisis. The city has recently spent over $115 million towards a crisis between January and July of this year, and is slated to spend another $120 million prior to year's end on the crisis. You can look anywhere from the streets of downtown Chicago to the south and west sides, and you're liable to see a group of migrants either standing on street corners or huddled in groups or camped outside in tents. With many local residents complaining that the so-called asylum seekers are draining valuable city resources from a city that's already plagued with rising crime and a recent flood that's left many on the west sides living in mold-filled houses. So let's get started. Nikki, do you want to start it off? What are your thoughts on the Chicago migrant crisis? What neighborhoods are impacted the most? And do you think the crisis is anything more than a bottomless pit for Chicago taxpayers? First things first, personally, I take issue with the phrase migrant crisis. I think that just shows how we dehumanize people from certain demographics. And also there's power in words. And just by labeling the influx that we see of people from South America who are seeking asylum and seeking a better way of life for their families to categorize their efforts to improve their position in this life as a crisis necessarily creates this sort of imaginary conflict between people who are already here living in the United States and those who want to come here to seek those opportunities. With that being said, I think the, the proper way to to refer to what's going on is you see, to me, illegally, people who are entering the country seeking asylum, as is their right, they are being illegally transported to cities, primarily Democratic-led cities. And we got some really um, disappointing news this morning that now the Democratic mayor in El Paso, Texas, is also joining other primarily Republican governors who've been engaging in this activity. So first, I want to be mindful of the language. With that being said, as a native Chicagoan, as I'm out and about in the city. Yeah, I have seen groups of people, particularly outside police precincts. I honestly haven't noticed any increase in individuals on the streets asking for assistance and things like that. But true to what we're hearing in the media reports, we are seeing a lot of asylum seekers from South America 
being transported here to Chicago with no resources, no connection to any of the communities here. And the end result, you have men, women, and children who are being forced to sleep outside police stations. Now, the weather has been kind, but also as a native Chicagoan, the winter is approaching. And so I really hope that city leadership finds a better way to deal with tackling the task that we now face with making sure that these people have adequate housing as the winter months approach and moving forward, because obviously men, women, and children sleeping outside through a Chicago winter is just completely unacceptable. And when you ask what neighborhood is affected, I think every neighborhood in America potentially could be affected by people who are seeking to move here in search of better opportunities. So I really don't In my mind, I don't phrase it as what neighborhoods are affected the most or the worst or if anything, just to diversify our communities. That can be a net benefit feeling. So, Halil, what are your thoughts? Overall, I'm a lifelong Chicago. I know that locals in Chicago feel that the resources that they were able to find, the government was able to find this $100 million overnight to deal with the influx of the migrants, where communities that I come from have been struggling for years and years and years and needing resources. And there's always been this claim of there's budget problems and there's budget deficit, and we can't find the money to help. There's a, a violence crisis here. There's an education crisis here. Children. Local children in Chicago public schools are having trouble with literacy. And so we have these major issues for the citizens here. And so if you think we can bring in these uh, thousands of uh, people across the border and give them resources, and that's not going to harm the communities here that are already struggling that it's just going to create more problems. And it's got a problem with it from that aspect. We have to devote the resources of the government to the citizens first. That's where I'm at with it. And then once those issues are being addressed, then you can start to look at, okay, what can we afford in terms of dealing with this influx of the migrants? Now, Chicago labeled itself as a sanctuary city, right? Chicago, New York, these other Democratic cities said, we're sanctuary cities. And so you have a governor in Texas, Governor Abbott, who's on the border. So I do understand what the problem is down there. He's saying, look, there's a border crisis, right? We can't just have an open border. There are millions. I haven't been down to the border myself personally. But what, for what I understand, it's, it's millions of people coming into the country illegally. That's, that's going to create a problem. So if you're the governor of Texas and, and you're saying, look, we have to fix this border. And if you're not going to help us fix it, then I'm going to bust these people to the sanctuary cities. And so that's what's happening. I think we're going to have to Democratic, Republican. This isn't a, a red blue issue. This is an American issue. And if we want to, we have to address our ish to help our people first. And then we can address bring in migrants and help them out as well. And I've seen the 
some of the migrants out and about in the city and in the loop area specifically. I see it. And these look like young men. I don't see families, families with little children. I see groups of 20, 30 something men hanging out. And look, everybody needs help. And I'm, I support helping, but I primarily let's fix our issues at home first. Let's devote those resources to our children, to our homeless. And then we can start to look at what we can afford from a migration. Quick point, and because I've been hearing that a lot. The first, the major point you made, Halil, about the fact that there are so many communities here, particularly in Chicago. Obviously, we've been having the issues with the crime. We're having issues with Chicago public schools. Enrollment is down. We also have our own underhouse population. And, and so people will say, how can we spend XYZ trying to accommodate for individuals who are coming seeking asylum, individuals who enter the United States through the southern border when we have all of these problems at home. And those type of arguments, I think, are exactly what sort of a a racist capitalist structure, that's what they want people to focus on. Because truth be told, poor communities, black communities, we've never had the appropriate resources, right? This is about prioritization of individuals who are in charge because no one is really talking about the quote unquote influx of Ukrainian migrants who've relocated to Chicago. Those numbers are in the thousands since that war started. And you do hear conversation about every time you turn around, the United States is increasing the aid that it's providing to Ukraine. Every time you turn around, large American cities, democratic or otherwise, are constantly shoring up their law enforcement agencies, et cetera, with hundreds of millions of dollars in a budget. Meanwhile, like you said, schools are suffering. People are under house. People are being crushed by inflation. And those resources were not going to go address those needs anyway. So we really need to band together with our brothers and sisters from Southern America. When they come here, don't look at it like their resources being diverted away from us to them. That's not the case at all. We still don't have what we need, even prior to this influx of individuals from South America. The issue is if we all band together, we can make sure our leaders in government are appropriately prioritizing the monies that the nation does have because there's enough to go around to address all of those issues you addressed. It's just that they don't want to and rather they will cause infighting in between minority groups about the few crumbs that we do get. And I think that we all need to band together and try to take a different stand to really see change. Nikki, just to piggyback some of the points that you just mentioned, I do know that... From some of the stories, there have been an influx of other people from different cultures coming from the city. But just in a short time since we've been back in Chicago, since we do spend the majority of our time in Alpharetta, it does seem like the majority of migrants, they're not being placed in predominantly white neighborhoods. It does seem like there is a large influx of migrants that are being placed in predominant neighborhoods that house people of color. So do you think that you're somewhat tiptoeing around the issue when you don't take more consideration into the fact that a lot of these migrants are being placed in predominantly black neighborhoods? And to Halil's point that a lot of resources are being shifted away from neighborhoods that already have rising crime rates. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Of course, when we have asylum seekers coming into the country, it's an influx of individuals from South America. Of course, they're not going to relocate and just drop those people off in predominant neighborhoods. Of course, they are going to unfairly, and I don't even want to use the word burden, but they're going to relocate or essentially abandon those people in neighborhoods of color. But that's by design. And again, that goes back to my point. It's not that there isn't enough to go around. I do believe there is. What happens is certain groups just don't get a, they don't get their fair share of the pie. And so instead of challenging the institutions that deny us all, we argue amongst ourselves uh, uh, amongst a few crumbs. So of course, it's not fair that a disproportionate number of individuals who are seeking asylum are steered into particular neighborhoods, but that's through no fault of their own. That's through no fault of our own. And the sooner we come together and realize that, I think that maybe we can see some changes. Well, just a short kind of close that out. The bottom line is, where is this going? It's not going to, it's going to, the problem is going to get worse. The uh, mayor of New York said, their migrant crisis is going to destroy the city because there's only so many resources, right? It's not infinite resources. There's a limited resources. Chicago, we're already struggling. I need, I want to protect these kids that are dealing with gun violence. Every time I look up on the news, there's a 12 year old getting shot or something like this. So it's a big problem. We need to fix that. We need to fix the education problems here. Then look to what we can do to help others. But we have to devote our resources to the citizens of the city, protect these kids from the city. That's That would be my primary goal. And then let's look to the migrants and see what we can do. But that's not the policy here. For whatever reason, the politicians here, they're finding funding for the migrants. And there's, there seems to be some sort of political issue. And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But hopefully I'm wrong. With newsflash, if we don't see another migrant, if another person from South America does not come in Chicago anymore in this crisis, we still won't see any increase in funding in our neighborhoods. We won't. We're misplacing that frustration because those problems existed before they started arriving here. If leadership wanted to address violence in schools and the underhouse community, they would have done that. So now they just have a convenient scapegoat. Oh, there's no money because of the migrants. And it's really just unfair. And it's all smoke and mirrors. We have to see past that. I think that's an interesting segue into the next topic from a budgetary perspective. There was a recent quote from the Chicago Sun-Times indicating that it was hard for representatives from Chicago City Council to definitively state where the $115 million previously spent on the migrants had gone. Do you think, because Chicago does have um, a long history of potentially misplacing funds, do you think that the city is using the resources in an appropriate manner on migrants and also do you think that there's any legal validity to some of these lawsuits that are popping up from residents from different neighborhoods, some of these being historically black neighborhoods, beginning to file lawsuits against the city for placing some of these migrants in their neighborhoods? I think there's legal validity to it. If I was in a community where we're uh, in need of resources, 
And now, like South Shore, for instance, there's a big uh, discussion there where they're going to use uh, a school there to house uh, migrants. And the residents said, hold on, we have a crime epidemic where there's no grocery stores. Business, small businesses is struggling. We're trying to fix these issues, protect our children. And now the government wants to put in thousands of migrants into this community. Hold on. That's if I'm in that community, I'm like, no, let's go to court. Let's try to see what we can do to to stop this because it's not going to help. It's just going to, in my opinion, it's just going to exacerbate the problems that are already uh, there. And it's these are epidemic problems. These, These are major issues, especially the violence issues with these kids. And I think the residents uh, should be going into court. It's going to be interesting to see how judges deal with these cases. They're going to be popping up all over the country where citizens are trying to push back on migrants coming into their communities. And yes, you're going to see these governments putting them into the the lower income communities, right? They're not going to send them up to Net or the North Shore or anything like that. They're going to target the lower income community. It seems to be, I applaud the residents for fighting back on this. And uh, because we have to address the problems that are already there. And I know, Nick, you're right. Those problems are there. We take the migrants away. Those problems still exist. But the migrants aren't going to help. So you have to, well, you got to protect your community as much as you possibly can. I think there's a political agenda here with the Democrats. You're going to bring in the migrants, right? And then you're going to say, look, we're going to we're going to give you free food, free money, free housing. But here's the deal. And you're going to vote blue. That's the trade-off. That's where I think this is going down the line. You already have Pritzker saying he's clearing the way for migrants to be police officers. Hold on, because police officers here are leaving because the conditions are just not good for police officers, so they're going to other places where there's not as much crime and more pay. So what's Prisker's answer? We'll hire the migrants as police officers. That, to me, sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. These people aren't from these communities, and uh, they don't have any police training. And so you're bringing in non-citizens, and you're going to make them police the citizens. These are, I think, problematic things that the citizenship should be fighting back on. So I applaud any action taken to push back on the policy. Okay. And Nikki, recognizing that this is a humanitarian crisis, do you have any alternate solutions to potentially solve this problem? Or do you think that Chicago is doing all the right things? I'm not necessarily certain that the quote unquote right things are being done just by the sheer number of people that I've personally seen. Like I've personally seen women, small children and gentlemen sleeping on sidewalks outside of police stations. Clearly, that is not the right thing. I'm not a sociologist or an urban planner. While I may have critiques about things that have been done, I will say I understand this is difficult. This is probably challenging, especially for our new mayor and their administration. I would think something along the lines of a not necessarily a tent city, but temporary housing, perhaps separated out between women and small children and then have family housing. I think providing that housing on a temporary basis until all of the individuals who are being relocated here 
whether intentionally or just against their will, they're being shipped out until the immigration authorities can figure out what's the best path forward for those individuals while they seek asylum or what have you. I think just helping them meet their basic needs of food and shelter, we definitely have to stop there. And I just want to say, don't get me wrong. Of course, we should simultaneously address the issue with our unhoused communities. If we want to talk about a crisis, the the unhoused community, that crisis has been growing in major cities for decades and nothing's really being done for them. So I think maybe the question of what's how we can help both of those two particular different communities as they navigate their housing struggles, we can tackle both problems at once, but the priority and the will has to be there. That's what's not there because having migrants or not, we've always had an unhoused population. And I'd like to see the people that we elect to put in power actively work on addressing that problem. And they haven't. And how about you, Halal? Do you think that the city's doing the right thing or do you think that there's alternate solutions to the problem? To the migrant problem? No, I think the city's not doing the right thing. I think they're, again, draining resources from the citizenship. And I know that if you have a house and you're already struggling to make ends meet and you're trying to put food on the table to feed your kids and keep the rent paid and the bills paid, and then in comes 30 neighbors that are going to move in to your house because they, they need somewhere to live. That's very nice if you take those people in. But guess what? Your household will collapse. When you bring those people in, you already were struggling to make ends meet. And now you're draining more resources. And so this is just going to create more problems for the city down the line. The city already had, again, I think the major problem in Chicago is the crime epidemic. Every time I look up, there's a 14, 15-year-old kid getting shot. And there's always been crime in Chicago. I'm born and raised here. I know the city very well. Always been crime, but this seems something unusual. This seems different. I don't recall just seeing the, these young, 13, 15-year your kids running around with guns. Fred, it's, it's social media. I don't mean to cut you off. It's social media. It's just the way we constantly disseminate and share information. I don't have numbers in front of me, but statistically, the crime is not higher right now than what it's been in the 80s or 90s. It's it's just that the, the, I think it's younger. It's the numbers may be, it's, there's always been a crime problem. But I think now the, the kids, sure. I don't remember seeing 13 year olds running around with machine guns when I was growing up. So this, I think it's different. And, and the numbers are in some of these, the Inglewoods and the Grand Crossing. If you look at the, the numbers in those areas, they spike tremendously. It's, no, this, I think this is different. Social media is an aspect of it. But this is a problem that has to get addressed. And so that's what the poly, that's what the mayor and the governor need to solely focus on that. Okay, deal with that and then move to these other things with the virus. But let's get a handle on the crime problem. So that because if you have out of control crime, you cannot have small businesses. If I want to open up a small grocery store in South Shore, I'm going to want somebody's going to come in there and rob me. What's the this is what small business owners have to deal with trying to put businesses in the communities that need them. But the crime is preventing that. You have to address that. And then 
wolves to the other things, such as the migrants, and see what help we can do there. Okay. Any final thoughts on the migrants, Nikki, before we change topics? No, I just, I'm sure we'll be back to the conversation, whether or not an actual crisis exists. I think I explained at the top of the show that it absolutely does not exist, but that's just dangerous rhetoric and language that's used to divide communities of color. But I do think that people will always seek better for themselves and for better or for worse, every, a lot of people want a piece of that American dream. So we're always going to be coming back to this conversation about how to be welcoming and integrate people who come into this country. Just the ancestors of most Americans were somehow or the other, they were welcome here or they were able to come here and, and survive and thrive. All right. Well, today's topics have definitely been interesting. To end our podcast on a lighter note, however, Let's switch topics to New York and what's going on with their Airbnbs. For those of you that don't know, New York has recently made short-term rentals illegal and difficult to list. Halil, do you want to start it off? Are New York's actions fair or foul? And from a legal perspective, what are some of the landowner implications of New York's actions? And could short-term rental restrictions be viewed by some as an unconstitutional taking? Local Law 18, I understand that's the name of it. It was passed on September 5th. And so it requires Airbnb users or renters, property owners who want to rent their properties on Airbnb or other platforms that they would have to register with the city now. They have to live at the residence and be present when they're renting. And they can have no more than two guests. And so the basis for this, the supporters of this law, they said it because I guess the Airbnb was so big in New York that it was driving up uh, the cost of housing. There was issues with noise and parties. There was a trash problem and danger issues in certain uh, communities that were having these short term rentals. From what I understand, they were running de facto hotels where you would have these major developers or companies that would just even rent out a bunch of units strictly to to then turn them into Airbnbs. And so that, for the people that supported the local law 18, they said they were gobbling up the housing that, what we were talking about before, that the citizens the low-income residents of New York need to live in, and you have these companies grabbing massive amounts of properties just so they could then Airbnb them. So that's where that's at. There was something to the tune of the $85 million was made in 2022 with the short-term rentals. Now, the smaller the mom and pops are pushing back on this because they're saying they agree that the, these big companies gobbling up properties that there needs to be some regulation there. But the smaller, if you just own an apartment and then you're going to rent out while you're on vacation to help supplement your income, they think that they took too broad of a brush here. They should address and address it with the big mega companies taking advantage of the Airbnb, but not been so heavy handed with the smaller property owners that, that this income they were relying, reliant on. Because obviously New York is one of the, in terms of a cost of living standpoint, 
It's a very high possibility. These smaller property owners were using this to help supplement their income. You know, but Airbnb sued and there was a lawsuit that was dismissed in August. The judge dismissed the lawsuit. The Airbnb challenged this law along with some of the property owners challenged this law, but the judge ultimately tossed the lawsuit out and said that these restrictions were rational and that they, that the city was entitled to make these restrictions. I think ultimately what will happen is the smaller owners will be in discussions with the city to cater this law to to not be so restrictive with the smaller property owners, while at the same time protecting those housing costs and things like that. Yeah, it's happening all around the country, these restrictions you're seeing in San Francisco and in a lot of other places. But New York, I think, was the biggest, the most heavy-handed restriction. And we'll have to keep an eye out on it. And what are your thoughts, Nikki? Fair or foul? Would you be upset if you were a, a New York property owner? Yeah, I think it's a little foul, like Khalil was saying, for some of the, I would call them private property owners, individuals who maybe own less than five properties or so, and or maybe just one or two, and they primarily run short-term rentals or Airbnb is like their source of income. I really think that isn't fair. But there is also the issue with this corporate hoarding of real estate, and that is starting to cause either rents to become unaffordable in a lot of major cities, being one of the main contributions to the growing unhoused community. Kudos to New York for trying to check the corporate entities that buy up large swaths of of housing just for the purpose of Airbnb, forcing people out on the streets. But it really does run afoul for some of those smaller private owners. So I think they need to figure out, balance that and figure out what's a good number, what's a good cutoff where, you know, as a funny aside, and I totally believe that it's probably a problem in New York. Back in 2021, at the height of that, the most recent housing boom we were having when you couldn't find any properties, I actually had a corporation reach out to me asking to buy my house and it's not even for sale. So yeah, I know this is happening, but yeah, I just really hope that people who own one or two properties, that's a source of income for a lot of retirees or people who bought their homes many decades ago. Maybe they've moved and they use that for additional income. It's really unfair if they're just completely restricted out of the short-term rental market. And there's always going to be a market for that as long as tourism is thriving. Yeah, that's really interesting, Nikki. And I 100% agree with your comments on the people even reaching out to you to buy your property because the same has happened to me. I actually have family that lives in Indianapolis and I have the same name as my mother. And I've even gotten text messages from different people asking to buy our family home. And I have a feeling that it is something that they're trying to buy up in some of these, especially small towns across America. So it will definitely be something interesting to continue to take a look at. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Episode 1 of your Morning Legal Briefing. We've covered a lot of topics today from the Chicago migrant crisis, or I should say so-called migrant crisis, all the way to New York Airbnbs. Make sure to tune into next week's episode of our podcast, and make sure to like, subscribe, and listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
Also, you can visit our website, Hampton and Hampton LLP, if you're in need of a real estate, estate planning, or personal injury attorney. Our team is always here to help. Thanks, everyone.